All right, everybody. Stefan Molyneux, and we are going to put... Well, what am I talking about? I'm not talking about we. I'm just going to say that I am going to put... You know, it's funny. I really don't think of myself as cynical. I really, really don't think of myself as cynical, but I got to tell you, it was really quite moving to watch this speech. It really was quite moving to watch this speech, Trump's speech. And, ah, uh, uh, you know, there's that, uh, what's that old line? Sometimes I amaze even myself. What's that from Star Wars or something like that? And, you know, sometimes I appall even myself because, you know, the giant philosophy brain laser focusing in on all possible Aristotelian interpretations of the sophistry and silver-tongued, orange-haired, devilish politician way with words. Man, I'm just, I'm going to put all of that aside. I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to be unabashedly fanboy enthusiastic for our boy Trump. I got to tell you, that was, excuse my French, one hell of a fracking speech. <laughs> it really was. One hell of a speech. And I really found myself, again, I'm cynical about politics. I'm cynical about politicians. But God damn, that was some serious business right there. And I've not felt that before. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm coughing up cynicism like I'm retching out a hairball of amoral distance from the planet. That was something else. I've never particularly felt emotional. I was tearing up a little. Man, that was something else. So I'll stop just saying, man, that was something else. And we'll, we'll talk about some analysis of of what is going on and again i'm I, i'm gonna catch hell for this over time i don't care i really don't care this was something to experience this was something to see this was but i'm gonna be watching the chat on youtube you can find that at youtube.com forward slash free domain radio i'm gonna watch the chat here and i will get to to questions and and comments and so on but Damn, that was some fine language. It was uh, beautiful. It had it had poetry. It had pathos. It did have a certain sort of minority grievance, political correctness. That's to be expected. That's to be understood. That's the way to to operate. And that was something else. I mean, that was twenty twenty in a nutshell, right there, right there. And I'll put in a couple of caveats, but I'm just going to be. Wildly enthusiastic. I hope that you will join me in that, and I may wake up <laughs> with a cynical hangover tomorrow. But tonight, my friends, we celebrate a triumph of human communication. So, yeah, we're, we're tearing up, and Nancy Pelosi is tearing up the State of the Union speech. I really couldn't believe that. I mean, on, on the big picture, you know, this is, this is the woman who has railroaded this guy into bullshit impeachment nonsense, who has harassed and harangued him and called him a Russian, a traitor to Russia, and the election was stolen, who's harassed members of his team, 
who have, uh, I mean, the, the most astounding stuff has been occurring in American politics and in American jurisprudence over the last couple of years. You have uh, what appeared to be falsified FISA court requests. You have perjury. You have the utter corruption of the system that is supposed to secure Americans' right to privacy. And so this hostility between the wax-faced woman in white and the uh, very resolute Donald Trump, I mean, started right at the beginning, right? So for those of you who didn't see it, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi sought to shake the president's hand after Trump handed her what appeared to be a copy of his remarks, but Trump did not shake her hand. And, you know, I got to tell you, that's good. This bipartisanship, uh, you know, we just differ in opinions. Okay, that's fine if you're just debating whether taxes should go up or down. I get that that's the use of violence, but that's something you can disagree on. Uh, Levels of immigration and so on. But what you don't do in politics, or at least what you bloody well shouldn't do in politics, is try and destroy people's lives, spy on a presidential candidate campaign that who is opposing the woman that you want to get in. Lie to the FISA court. Commit perjury. Railroad people destroy their finances with endless lawfare. That you should not do. And the idea that that's just kind of difference of opinion this uh, nuclear strike of media and lawfare vengeance that the Democrats have rained down on Trump, Trump's family, Trump's supporters, Trump's workers, and so on, has been just astounding. Just astounding. And, of course, the misrepresentation of everything that Trump has said, uh, as Scott Adams has repeatedly pointed out, the fine people hoax that uh, Trump was uh, supposed to have said, and according to the left media, that white nationalists and white supremacists were fine people. He said nothing of the kind. He roundly condemned white extremists uh, and uh, Nazis, and uh, he condemned the left-wing terrorists down in Charlottesville as well. He just said there were fine people on both sides, but did not include the extremist violent radicals. But nonetheless, they lie, they lie, they lie. When Trump, in a very coarse manner, talked about women's willingness to engage in sexual acts with a man who has a great deal of wealth and power. He said, uh, you know, if you're famous, they will let you grab them by the hairless cat, I guess Brazilian style. This, of course, was now, well, he's assault, it's assault. No, he's just talking about, he's talking about groupies. (laughs) You know, if Eddie Van Halen said that, we'd be like, well, yeah, I saw Pink Floyd, the wall movie too. I get it. This bath is as big as my apartment. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little giddy. Why not? Okay. So, yeah, so the fact, I don't know if, if Trump saw her or didn't see her or whatever, but, uh, yeah, you, you don't shake the hands of someone who's been trying to destroy you. And, and look, not just criticize your policies, not just engage in the usual mudslinging of everyday politics, but this ferocious Stalin-style character assassination that has characterized this, his increasingly histrionic left is not leaving any middle ground in politics. The middle is hollowing out. The center cannot hold at the moment. So, yeah. At the end of the speech, Pelosi, and I, I really, I blinked. I literally, I'm sorry, like, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. She literally picked up his speech and tore it. And then she picked up another part of his speech and tore it in two. 
I assume it was rice paper or something like that, because she looks like she has about the same upper body strength of Beto O'Rourke's noodle arms. But, uh, yeah, she tore up the speech. Tore up the speech. So, okay, what happened? Well, Limbaugh awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And, look, that is a, that, that's a big deal. That's not occurred, to my knowledge, before, during a State of the Union, this is America's highest civilian honor. Now, Limbaugh, of course, is a close ally of the president. Uh, Limbaugh has suffered from health issues, health woes. Uh, I did a show with Dr. Kevin Wakasey today about Limbaugh's recent revelation that he has advanced lung cancer, which, you know, maybe means stage three, maybe stage four, who knows, but probably not long for this world, sadly. And I would say that about somebody I disliked as well. And I have my issues with Rush Limbaugh, for sure. I have my issues with Rush Limbaugh, the guy who was ferocious, a ferocious proponent of the war on drugs when he himself ended up with a drug addiction and got his maid to procure, as far as I remember it, got his maid to procure drugs for him. And he got arrested, but he, I think he pled out or something like that. And so, yeah, really big on the war on drugs until he was caught with uh, a whole bunch of painkillers, which he said was for back pain. Uh, then, then suddenly it was like, hey, man, I, I shouldn't go to jail. I have issues, but not particularly important. I don't think of him that much. I sympathize with his uh, hearing issues, which, of course, for a radio man is particularly problematic and challenging. But Rush, is, uh, he's the original OG. He is the guy who stood in the face of withering leftist escalations and mountings of uh, uh, um, continual socialist attacks on the republic he stood there man he stood tall and he fought back and he's taken a huge amount of abuse over the years and he has hung tough he has hung strong okay i i can i can respect that and uh he has um I mean, the guy could have, he's getting paid ridiculous amounts of money. The guy could have uh, retired many years ago, but he's in it for the fight. And I respect that. It is something, I, I do remember when I first started to do this studio stuff, remembering that Rush Limbaugh and other people who are generally pear-shaped like uh, Tom Likas and so on, you know, that, that level of sitting is not great. And that's why for most of what I've done over the last 15 years, I've tried to do as much standing as possible. I'm sitting at the moment for, doesn't really matter why, but... I've tried to do as much standing as possible because, you know, this is not good good for your health. Sitting is the new smoking, of course, right? So Limbaugh stood up and, listen, this guy, like, he's facing the Grim Reaper, man. I mean, he is like nose-to-nose with the black-cowled master of uh, our fall to eternity. And, you know, he's thumbs up. He's given a smile. He's given a grin. And to stand and face the world, I mean... I haven't had, I mean, I was diagnosed with cancer six or so years ago, and I continued to do shows, but uh, I was not uh, I- I- anywhere near the tipping point that Rush Limbaugh may be at. So to stand there, uh, at, what is he, 67, to stand there and give thumbs up and a big grin while staring down into the black lake that swallows us all, I got to tell you, that's uh, that's really quite something. And um I haven't listened to a lot of Rush Limbaugh, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a very talented, very passionate, very powerful guy, and he stood a lot of abuse, and um, it's really, really 
uh, it's really sad. This is the way he's going to go. And yeah, Rush Limbaugh referred to himself. Uh, he said, uh, my formerly nicotine-stained fingers, he would say all the time. And so maybe he was uh, a, a cigarette smoker. And so please quit and, and do your cardio and, and really do try and stay, stay healthy. Now, this, yeah, Trump celebrates Guaido, Venezuela's legitimate leader, and it's so wild for me, who've been battling socialism and communism low these 30 years or so. Gosh, <laughs> 35 years, 35 years I've been battling communism. To hear a president up there talking about socialism and left-wing extremism and all of that. He didn't say the C word, but that's probably because it would have uh, caused Bernie Sanders' head to rotate 360, uh, demonic style. But um, that is... Um, that is really something to hear that clarity of the lines that are divided between a free market and a socialist system. And he said, we won't let socialism take over the healthcare system. You're going to keep your guns. Nobody is going to stand to undermine the Second Amendment. And it really was quite powerful. And yes, you know, I can sit there and say, look, a lot of the Trump economy has smoke and mirrors, not because of Trump, but just because of the Federal Reserve and massive debt and unfunded liabilities. And I'm like, you know what? Away with thee. Get, be, get thee behind me, Peter Schiff. I'm just going to enjoy the good news about the American economy. Listen, when you, <laughs> when you have invested decades and decades of your life into accepting, researching, and promulgating an ideology that many people consider to be insane, such as unfettered free market capitalism, which I believe in, stand behind and advocate even more strongly now than I did 30 years ago or 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. When you have this theory and you recognize that Trump's mentor was an anti-communist, that Trump has flirted seriously with libertarianism, that Trump is a free market guy in his core. I mean, he's a safety net guy and you can't touch Social Security, and you can't touch Medicare. I get all of that. That's the third rail. Those are the limitations of the American political landscape. Philosophers don't really give a shit about Overton windows. You know, we, we smash through Overton windows like wrecking balls. But in politics, it's a different matter. I, I, I get all of that. But for me, when I have spent this much time and effort, and listen, oh my Lord, can I tell you, I'll never even tell everyone all that it's cost me all that it has cost me. Standing for free market capitalism cost me a career in the arts because the arts are so relentlessly leftist that the moment I opened my mouth, I was not cast anymore. Cost me. I mean, I was in the National Theatre School. I was in the top 1% of all the applicants. Uh, I did well uh, until they found out I was a capitalist and that I didn't. And, you know, it cost me that. Uh, I did well in the business world because that is a free market scenario and environment. But in academia, which I was in before the business world, uh, I was, you know, I, I had, um, I did essays so good in academia. I remember the first time I did a review of The Village of Montaillou, a book about uh, a French village in the Middle Ages. I did a review of that, which everyone in a class of a couple of hundred people had to do. 
And my essay was so good that the professor took the essay up and read it to the entire class from the very beginning to the very end. That's how good my essay writing was. I was considered to be an enormous star in the realm of academia. Until, until, until. Right. Until I do ferocious battle with the Marxists and the socialists and the leftists. So that didn't go all too far. And I ended up graduating later than everyone else, and it was a big challenge. I got an A in my master's thesis, but, I mean, you, you know, you can feel that you know when things are the end of the road. I mean, what kind of career... What kind of career could somebody with my eloquence and passion, on-the-fly rational thinking, debating ability, and so on, what kind of career could I have had if I hadn't stood for freedom, individualism, capitalism, property, and liberty, unflinchingly and absolutely? If I had compromised what I know to be true, I would have been well-rewarded and very prominent. But I have given up a lot. So when you've given up a lot for a particular belief, my friends, then when you roll the dice on a particular candidate who embodies many of those beliefs, and he was for deregulation, he was for lowering taxes, he was for better trade deals, and I don't mind tariffs as a way of getting better trade deals, you... Use what leverage you can with amoral opponents in the chilly interstellar moral void that exists between nations. You can use tariffs to get better trade deals. There's nothing wrong with that at all. So I also knew that supporting or pushing back against the falsehoods that were told about someone like Donald Trump was going to cost me a lot. It was going to cost me a lot of credibility with regards to the apolitical or anti-political libertarians. It also was going to cost me a lot with regards to, you know, my first big video on YouTube was the truth about voting, where I roundly condemned the very act itself. <laughs> I get it. But, you know, that's because my whole damn life, all the politicians had been pretty much the same. Pretty much the same. Oh, Ronald Reagan was the great conservative. He started the whole destruction of California. So someone like Trump comes along, and it gives me a chance to put my theories to the test. So then when those theories get implemented, obviously to a limited degree and not consistently and not perfectly, but politics, of course, is the art of the possible. Philosophy is the art of the rational. Philosophy is the art of the possible. So then, when the jobs start coming back to America, when the investment starts flowing into America, when America becomes energy independent, when the lifespans in America begin to rise again, when incomes begin to rise again, not just for the rich, has been through the case throughout my youth and early middle age, it was the rich who were getting richer and the poor who were stagnating and crumbling and falling into the pit of welfare and dependency and promiscuity and addiction and destruction. When the theories of the free market were implemented under Trump, 
That was the big test. Was everything I have sacrificed worth it? Because, by God, having given up two or three major careers for the sake of the free market, if the free market hadn't worked, well, that would have sucked just a little bit. In fact, quite a lot. So, I also knew, or believed, based upon my understanding of the free market, that it was in particular the poorest and least advantaged in America, who would do the best? And Trump highlighted highlight this extravagantly, repeatedly, and to me, joyfully, that black unemployment is at an all-time low, that Hispanic unemployment is at an all-time low or near to it, that the wages of the poorest in America are going up. So I grew up among the poor. I want them to do better in a way that those of you who grew up middle class and above, you don't. I mean, I hate to say you don't get it, but you don't get it. And unless you've seen what it's like down there in the dark underbelly, the New York Tunnel rat-infested sewers of the bottom of the bottom, you don't know what it's like to yearn for people to have the opportunity to do better. And the fact that he implemented some free market policies, I mean, let's just say he certainly implemented a lot more than Hillary Clinton would have, but she would have gone in the opposite direction. And the fact that the blacks and Hispanics are doing so much better and other poor people, of course, are doing better gives me enormous joy, enormous joy. The fact that he had a black woman with her lovely daughter up there in the stands talking about school choice. And again, I know there are challenges with school choice. Yes, it's a way of extending the curriculum to formerly voluntary organ. I get all of that. But it's better. And you do what you can. If you're hungry and there's just tinned herrings, you hold your nose and eat the herrings. <laughs> it's just the way it is. It's just you've got to go with what's possible. And the fact that he talked about school choice was amazing. Now, there was another very powerful moment in the State of the Union, which was the soldier who came home, who got to hug his daughter and hug his son, come on. And yeah, you know, you can sit there and say, well, what about all of the people who didn't? What about all the soldiers who didn't come home or who came home in a box? But you got to understand, this is how you get the soldiers home. This is how you get the soldiers home. And this is like utter brilliance. He is a very stable genius. This is utter brilliance. This is how you get... The soldier's home. I'll tell you how theater, how spectacle works. How you change people's minds fundamentally. What you do is you get all of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the room. You talk about Afghanistan being America's longest war. And then you look up into the stands. You introduce a woman whose children have not seen their father in many months because he's on his fourth deployment. And then when everyone is uh, feeling sad and the Joint Chiefs of Staff are not saluting her, but you know, facing her with respect, you introduce the man who's come home. 
and his children hug him. His wife bursts into tears, and the Joint Chiefs of Staff applaud the soldier coming home. Do you understand how this works? So now, in the minds of the American people, and in the minds of the people in Congress, everyone is cheering and applauding and deeply moved by a soldier who's coming home. And that's how you get the soldiers home. It's an emotional connection that people now want the soldiers to come home. And they have seen the Joint Chiefs of Staff applauding a soldier extracted and now home with his family. So how can they say, let's just keep going and going and going in Afghanistan forever and forever and forever? Democratic health care proposals as socialism? Well, of course they are. Uh, of course they are. And he did talk about, um, you know, provide unlimited free health care to illegal aliens. Well, of course, that is the plan. The fact that he personalizes uh, there was a Hispanic ICE officer, so that this pushes back. And again, I know that it's like, oh, it's theater and so on, but it's important. That, you know, we, we're not taught how to think by government schools, and very few people learn how to do it. So you've got to work with imagery. You've got to work with show. You've got to work with magic. And the magic of having a resolute, strong, courageous Hispanic ICE officer stand up and be thanked for his service is important because it breaks the narrative that, you know, all the Hispanics are just illegals and blah, blah, blah. Come on. It's terrible. It's terrible. It is very powerful stuff that went on tonight. It is a reprogramming. And to be honest, seeing the white-clad, sour-faced, mostly women sitting in the Democrat section, not applauding, not standing, you know, for heaven's sakes. Well, I mean, it's the funny thing, right, where Trump was saying, oh, look at this, 5 million new jobs or 7 million new jobs have been created, 5 million more than was expected, and 73 point something percent of these new jobs are being filled by women. And then they get up to applaud. Which only goes to show you that feminism, you see, not about equality, female supremacy. Female supremacy, because that's disproportionate, of course, right? It's disproportionate. Women are about 50%, and if they're almost three quarters of the new hires, well, that's bad, right? If you're aiming for equality, that means the pendulum has swung too far. But of course, for the left, there's no such thing as the pendulum swinging too far, particularly if it's a hanging rope with their enemies on the end. So it really was a powerful, powerful speech. It was, it revealed the, the sourness. I, I tweeted about this, that, that, that Trump, Trump is a poke in the eye of all of the politicians who feast on failure who need people to fail, who need people to be dependent on the state, who need people to be broken so that uh, they can forever give them temporary fixes and keep them dependent upon the power of the state. Like 80% of women who take government benefits vote for Democrats? Well, of course, right? The drip-drip of government money is uh, the greatest addiction in the world at the moment certainly the most powerful and the most destructive. 
So when he's talking about all of this good news, yeah, you can quibble with some of the data. It doesn't matter because most people are going to listen to that. Most people who are tuning in to watch that, you understand, this is why it's so powerful. Most of the people who are tuning in to watch this, who are tuning in to hate gays on bad man, bad orange man, bad, most of those people have never heard one single shred of positive news about the Trump administration. You understand, this is a massive sledgehammer to the matrix of the mainstream media. They've not heard anything other than Trump is a quasi-Russian asset who paid hookers to pee on a bed and, (laughs) you know, locks children in, in cages and is a racist and so on, right? So when they see Trump fighting to expand school choice, particularly to poor blacks whose children's minds are being shredded and destroyed by failing government schools. He said this repeatedly, failing government schools, failing government schools. By God, I admire the man for trying to give this poor black woman, now she does have her child in a better school. And if you watch Waiting for Superman and, and all of these things, you know just how desperate poor people are to get their kids into some kind of better school system. There was an old John Stossel episode where there was this young black man who was having trouble reading and having trouble doing his math and he had all this after-school help and all these experts and nothing nothing worked because it was all government-run. And then uh, they got him private tutoring and within like a month or two, he was up to speed. It's... You know, government schools are like a big vat of formaldehyde where we put in brains, not that are already dead, but in order to drown them. And seeing Trump stand for this woman and say, let's try and get your lovely daughter into a decent school. I mean, people haven't seen that. They've heard Trump described. And then they actually see Trump in action. And for some people, listen, this, this, this is a colossal moment in American history. This was two hours of concentrated smashing of the artificial biodome of the Truman Show mainstream media. This is a thunderbolt into the basement of people's platonic misperceptions. This was him dragging people (laughs) up the stairs and out of the cave so that they could see the thing for what it is rather than have it described to them by malevolent toads with makeup. This is an amazing, amazing moment. It's like, I mean, I don't want to make it about me, but it's sort of like when people hear me described... I'm an ogre, I'm a monster. But then when they actually listen to me, actually meet me, I'm a really, really nice person who wants everyone to get along and I'm willing to take some bullets to bring out the facts and the truth that help us all get along better. I'm a really nice person and I want the best for just about everyone. I still have a few people I don't want the best for, but we'll leave those unnamed for the moment, right? So this is an incredible moment. People who have been taught to hate. People who have been taught to hate Trump and Republicans and all that. They see him. They hear the data. 
They see him standing up for blacks, for Hispanics, for the working poor. They see him taking great pleasure in the fact that the wages among the poorest of Americans have risen far faster than the incomes of the wealthier Americans. They see that this man, born in immense privilege, has the common touch you would expect from a Huey Long remix. That's the most astonishing thing about Trump, is of course he can talk at the highest levels, he can talk at the middle levels, he can talk at the trades level, he can talk at the poorest level, he can, he can span, like Shakespeare. He can span. I know, Trump is like Shakespeare, blah, blah, blah. I'm just talking about Shakespeare could, could write powerful iambic for kings and hilarious prose for the serfs. This ability to scale, to stretch up and down the class system and speak powerfully is astonishing. I mean, it, it, it is a, an incredible gift. I mean, I know a thing or two about giving a speech, and that was a master class in how to deliver. And I'll tell you one last thing, and I will get to your questions. I appreciate everyone's patience with this, right? But I will tell you, The bit at the end. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can find it, just for those who haven't seen it. I doubt I will be able to, uh, to find it. It's still pretty soon afterwards. But I will see if I can find it. The bit at the end was really, really quite something. And, and it was quite something in a way that I'm going to sort of try and, and, and explain. Because I, I haven't seen it. I, I, don't, I don't think my... My entire life. I'm going to just see um, uh, State of the Union 2020. I'm just going to see if there's a transcript. There probably is right now. I'm sorry, but this is all sort of on the fly. Transcript. All right. Do we have? Oh, yes, we do have a full. Oh, no, that was 2019. Ugh. Uh, live fact and transcript. Okay, let's let's do that. And this is who they want to impeach, right? This is who they want to impeach. Talked about the success against ISIS. Talked about the victims of illegal alien crime. Saw them, personalized it. Yes. Yes. Okay, here it is. Listen, you've got to listen to this language. It's, it's something that... I'll tell you why this is uh, such an incredible moment in, in the history of the West where, God, we're allowed to feel just a little bit of pride. Okay, I'm an honorary American for tonight. So he says, as the world bears witness tonight, America is a land of heroes. There's a place where greatness is born, where destinies are forged, and where legends come to life. This is the home of Thomas Edison and Teddy Roosevelt, Pershing, Patton, and MacArthur. This is the home of the Wright brothers, Harriet Tubman, Neil Armstrong, and so many more. This is the country where children learn names like Wyatt Earp, Davy Crockett, and Annie Oakley. This is the place where the pilgrims landed at Plymouth and where Texas patriots made their last stand at the Alamo, the beautiful, beautiful Alamo. 
The American nation was carved out of the vast frontier by the toughest, strongest, fiercest, and most determined men and women to walk on the face of the earth. Our ancestors braved the unknown, settled the Wild West, lifted millions from poverty, disease, and hunger, vanquished tyranny and fascism, ushered the world to new heights of science and medicine, laid down the railroads, dug out the canals, raised up the skyscrapers. And ladies and gentlemen, our ancestors built the most exceptional republic ever to exist in human history. We are making it greater than ever before. This is our glorious and magnificent inheritance. We are Americans. We are pioneers. We are the pathfinders. We settled the new world. We built the modern world. And we changed history forever by embracing the eternal truth that everyone is made equal by the almighty hand of God. America is the place where anything can happen. America is the place where anyone can rise. Here, on this land, on this soil, on this continent, the most incredible dreams come true. This nation is our canvas, and this country is our masterpiece. We look at tomorrow and see unlimited frontiers just waiting to be explored. Our brightest discoveries are not yet known. Our most thrilling stories are not yet told. Our grandest journeys are not yet made. The American age, the American epic, the American adventure has only just begun. Our spirit is still young. The sun is still rising. God's grace is still shining. My fellow Americans, the best is yet to come. Have you heard anything like that, that glorious optimism and positivity coming out of any mainstream outlet in your lifetime? I honestly can't think of it. Maybe you can see it, you know, when when Mel Gibson used to be like Rent-A-Patriot for historical dramas, whether Scottish or American or whatever. I mean, you, you could see it in historical dramas, they would allow it a little. But this glorious embrace of human potential, of human possibility, of the incredible script that freedom allows you to write on the blank pages of your life and the inviting volumes of the world, I've not, I mean, I, it wasn't like, well, you know, we have to apologize to the natives because we gave them smallpox while they only gave us tobacco and syphilis. There's no hedging. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There is a glorious seizing of cultural, historic, and nationalistic pride. And yeah, yeah, I get the hummingbirds of cynicism floating around the bouquets of this pleasure. I get it. To hell with that. To hell with that. A country without pride cannot survive, which is why, to destroy a country, you attack its pride. You attack its sense of self-possession and ownership and honor. And Trump pulled back a giant clay-baked fist and smashed it into the hall of mirrors 
that subversion, obfuscation, shame, guilt, and cultural destruction that the left has been wreaking on America for about a hundred years. Boom! People wandering in a desert don't even know how thirsty they are until it starts raining or until they come to an oasis. To see a man speak proudly of his accomplishments, and some of them are remarkable, to see a man eyeball a country, half of whose members have been taught to hate him irrationally, in a form of rancid, classist bigotry, to see him begging for freedom, for school choice, for protection. It's one thing, if you've got illegal aliens roaming around the place, you know, many of whom are lawful, peaceful, blah, 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 but, well, lawful outside, of course, being in the country legally, but if you've got, like, a big fence and security and walls and guards and alarms and dogs, you're fine. You're safe. You're not competing with somebody who's been human trafficked across the border from the south. You're not out there saying, well, maybe I can, tridge, uh, I can uh, trim a hedge as good as so-and-so. No, 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 you're not. You see, all of those professions that advocate for all of this mass legal and illegal immigration well, they all have licenses. Like the lawyers who will do it, they're not facing lawyers coming in from Somalia or Manila, Manila or, or India and, and competing with them because you've got to get a license. You've got to jump through the hoops. You gotta... But all the unlicensed professions, all of the professions that are the ladders through which the poor climb to middle class, all of those. Seeing Trump stand for those people's uh, school choice, uh, protection, choice in health care, resistance to socialism, opposition to the growing socialist tyranny in Venezuela, destruction of ISIS, death to terrorist leaders, sympathy for the poor woman. What was she doing out there? The Syrian aid worker who was kidnapped and, oh, God, Satan alone knows what happened to her in those 500 days before she was murdered. Wanting to get out of the war? I remember, I'm old enough to remember when the left was ferociously anti-war. Now you can barely get an applause for talking about getting out of the useful, useless grave of empires, money and blood pit known as Afghanistan. And he was unapologetic. By God above. Unapologetic. Embracing the glory of his nation and the values for which it stands. Listen, it's America too, right? Like I, I, if I saw an Indian politician or, or um, even these days a British politician, or like I just wouldn't. But America, America was a sword forged in the furnace of the Enlightenment. It's the only philosophical nation in the world and if you can't be proud of that, <laughs> well, you can't be proud of anything. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much for your thoughts. Well, sorry, for your attention. Let us um, turn to 
our chat participants, if you have questions or comments or thoughts. I would be more, you don't have to, you know, I've had my rant about it. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. The speech seems to have the stamp of Stephen Miller's brilliance. Don't know. Don't know. Admire the forehead (laughs) for obvious reasons, but I don't know. All right, let's see here. Trump doesn't stand for anything outside of himself. I love when people try to make sense out of that pathological liar like he cares. It's called pandering. Yeah, you know, I mean, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's hard to have hope. It's hard to believe in anyone. And look, I mean, Trump has his faults. I have my faults. Welcome to the planet, right? And yeah, it really was something. And look, this pathological liar and pandering and blah, blah, blah. No, come on. Come on, dude. The guy has, Trump has done some immense good, or at the very least, he has held back an immense evil. I mean, you understand. If Hillary Clinton had gotten into power, oh my God. Oh my God. What, what, what an astonishing, unbelievable nightmare that would have been. I mean, she was talking about waging war against Russia for imaginary cyber hacking. I mean, this, this is a woman who, uh, dist- in the State Department, she destroyed Libya, unleashing a migrant wave on Europe. Muammar Gaddafi, for all of his faults, of which there were many, was dragged through the streets and bayoneted in the rectum until he died. The country has descended into chaos and warlords vying for control, open-air slave markets, and the potential destruction of Europe. That's when she wasn't even president. If she'd had the powers of president. God. Come on, people. Come on. Yeah, Stefan for Prime Prime Minister of Canada. What was Nancy muttering to herself in the background, inquiring minds want to know? Well, Trump, of course, is um, a roadblock in the sprinty march to socialism, so she's muttering around all of that. All right. Let's see here. I'm trying to figure this out. No, I don't know what that means. Sorry. Something about the Federal Reserve. All right. Uh, Stefan, I'm having trouble with real-time relationships. What if I know why I'm feeling sad or mad? Why is it wrong to say I feel mad because you did X? Well, unless it's direct physical violence, that's someone jumping at you. I mean, if if somebody punches you in the side of the head, then you feel pain because you got punched in the side of the head. That is the other person's doing. But... Let's say somebody uh, insults you, right? Okay, well, somebody insults you. Nobody can make you feel bad without your permission. You have to agree with the insult in order for it to have any any hold over you, you understand? I mean, people insult me. Thousands of people insult me every day. But I don't agree with them. <laughs> you know, if somebody said, Steph, I hate your blue mohawk. It's the ugliest blue mohawk. It's like, I don't have a blue mohawk or a mohawk of any kind. I have an inverse mohawk. I have a a mohawk like a propeller went too low over my mohawk. So if you don't agree with people's insults, they can't really do that much to hurt you. Nobody can make you feel bad without your permission. And I mean that on two levels. So if somebody's insulting you, first of all, you have to agree with them for it to hurt you. And secondly, you have to ask yourself why you have someone who insults you in your life. Tell you a little story. 
So years ago, I had a friend. Good friend, actually. We went on skiing holidays together. We hung out a lot, uh, and um, we would hit the gym together. And You know, a good friend. But like a lot of people that I've known in my life, he gets kind of competitive. And look, there's things I'm not particularly good at, and there's things that I'm freaking great at. And he would try and sort of compete with me uh, in things that I was just really, really good at. And I don't mean sports or anything like that. I'm not, I'm no, I'm no spectacular sportsman. But in terms of uh, professional success or, or risk-taking or uh, language skills or whatever, I would just compete. And, and he didn't, and I was like, dude, you know, you speak French way better than I do. <laughs> you know, like, it's fine. We don't need to, you can't compete with friends. You have to be participants in the great game of life. Competition are for competitors, right? For people that you want to beat and, and you have too much empathy with friends to compete. You can have sort of friendly competitions, like who can run further, who can jump higher or whatever, but you can't, in order to win, you have to slice off the empathy muscle because when you win, other people feel bad because they lost. And and so to free yourself from the fetters and the, the chains of over-empathizing with people who are going to feel bad if you win, you got to cut off your empathy in order to compete, obviously, right? I mean, you have to win. Now, you can be a good sport and you can shake hands afterwards and so on. But man, you're in a boxing ring. You got to want to pound that guy. And you don't want to sit there and say, well, but if I pound him, it's going to really hurt him. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, to, to, to compete, you have to turn off empathy. And for friends, you've got to have empathy, right? So you've got to empathize with each other so you can compete with friends. It's, not, it's a very, very bad idea. You can't compete with lovers. You can't compete with friends. And you can compete in the business world. You can compete in the sports world. You can compete in getting the girl and, and, and all getting the guy or whatever. You can compete in marks with other people, but you can't. You can't compete with friends. So I told him, I said, look, this competition thing is not going to go well. It's not going to go well. And you should not do it, right? Oh, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. But then what happened was we'd be in social gatherings. And I mean, I'm a, obviously, I'm a good conversationalist and, and all of that. So sometimes, and I, I don't always want this, like I'm not always on when I'm off camera, right? I mean, I'm happy to sit and listen a lot of times. But in social situations, I uh, sometimes can be the center of attention, as you can imagine, right? And I try and share it, you know, because it's not like I want to do my job, so to speak, my whole life. But anyway, so what would happen is he, he then started developing the habit of bringing up stories of silly mistakes I'd made. Now, I'm fine with that to a limited degree. You know, you got to be able to laugh at yourself. And, and if you can't have an ironic distance with some of your foolishness, then it tends to take you over, right? You, if you take yourself too seriously, then you lose all flexibility and, and joy and play in life. And if you don't take yourself serious, seriously enough, you can never achieve anything of gravitas. So it's, you know, it's an Aristotelian balance. But he went way too far the other side. And you could see it. You ever have a friend like this where it just gets compulsive? Like, oh, yeah, here's another funny thing. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, yeah. And then Steph did this funny thing. Like he was a better skier than me. So, you know, it would be like every time we'd, I fell once on the ski in, in um, uh, Mont-Tremblant, and uh, every time we went up on the ski lift, he'd say, hey, that's, that's where you fell. And I said, yeah, okay, I get it. He's like, well, you did, right? And it's like, it's true. Yeah, it's true. I did fall there, and he was a very good skier, so he didn't fall. But he had to point it out every time. And then in social situations, he pointed out something. And I just got tired of it. And it's like, hey, man, like, what's going on? It's like, hey, did, and, and, you know, there, there's that fork in the road, right? People look back in their lives, there's a fork in the road, right? So I sat down with him. I said, hey, man, you're... You're really, uh, 
you know, you're, you're, you're pounding my errors. It's really not very nice, you know, and so on. He's like, ah, oh, you got to, don't take yourself so seriously. You got to have a sense of humor. I'm like, okay, well, so he doesn't want to listen that it's troublesome. It's troubling. Because, you know, if you want to do great things in your life, you can't have people around who think you're an idiot. I mean, you just can't. Like, they just got to, they just got to go overboard, you know, like your ship's sinking and you've got uh, uh, big barrels of gunpowder, <laughs> throw those things overboard so that you don't sink and drown, right? If you want to achieve great things in your life, you need to have people in your life who take you seriously. If you have people who just think you're a goofball, then you, you can't ever be bigger than the person around who thinks you're the smallest. You can't ever be bigger than the smallest perception around you. You want to achieve something big and dangerous and important and exciting, you got to ditch the people who don't believe in you. I mean, you don't have to ditch them, but you've got to do one. You've got to either ditch your desire for greatness or you've got to ditch the people who think you're small and won't change, right? Won't adapt to the greatness that you wish to achieve. Sorry, one sec. I think that's my second sneeze on air in <laughs> this year. No, next year. Last year. Anyway. So if somebody's belittling you or diminishing you or insulting you or gaslighting you, then you've got to ask yourself, why are they in your life? We sit down and talk with them, try and work it out. But I'll tell you this, man, you know, it's like an apology. It's a 24-hour rule. If you say to someone, you know, you're putting me down too much. I don't like it. I don't feel comfortable with it. It's not right. Then they may be like, oh, you got a sense of humor. You laugh at yourself, blah, 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 right? Give them 24 hours. But, but this is what I know. I know this experientially, logically, and scientifically as well. If people are startled with pushback and that they might have done something wrong, they might have done something disrespectful, if they're startled with pushback, you know what happens? They will immediately start to defend their actions and make you wrong, right? Hey, I'm just making a joke. You don't have any sense of humor. You can't laugh at your little, right? So, what happens is they're startled. They'll withdraw. They'll make you wrong. They'll justify themselves. And then there's like this moment, right? This fork in the road. It happens over the next 24 hours or so where they may sit there and they might say, hmm, you know what? Maybe Steph has a point. You know, I have been kind of putting him down in public. I can understand that that might not be that much fun. And maybe I'm being a bit overcompetitive with him and I'm kind of rubbing his nose in the fact that I'm a better skier or whatever, right? And then what can happen is someone can come up and say, you know, I, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I, I, I overreacted. Uh, I, I felt a little, I guess I felt defensive. And I kind of overreacted. And, you know, t- tell me more about like what happens for you socially when I'm talking and all that. And, you know, maybe I am being a bit of a dick about it. And, and maybe you don't have as much of a sense of humor, but let's let's talk about it, right? Okay, that's a civilized, mature conversation and if that happens within 24 hours your friendship is good you know that it's, it's a growth moment you know you can your conflict can bring you closer together it doesn't have to drive people apart but if it doesn't happen within 24 hours it's not going to happen after 24 hours people have either accepted that they may have done something wrong or they've hardened themselves into a blanket justification of what they have done that hardening has sort of healed over like a long-ago wound that barely scratched the surface and they are sealed, man. They're just Now that all they do is justify themselves. That's how their brain has reprogrammed itself. You either break the programming, you break the conditioning, or 
the person is just going to continue to justify. I've never once in my life had an apology that didn't occur within 24 hours. Never. Never. I've never had someone, like friendships that have come and gone, I've never had someone, like a week later or a month later or a year later or five years later, call me up and say, you know what, I'm really... uh, I'm really missing this friendship. I, I don't know. I mean, what, what happened? Like, like, tell me. I mean, it, 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 it doesn't happen. And I've got friendships that I've kept for a long time. And that's, those are the people who you have a problem. And you've got to do this yourself. Like if someone sits down with you and says, you know, you're doing this and this that's bothering me, listen to them. They might have a point. They might, you know, you could get closer because of that. So anyway, um, Let's see here. Um, Hey, Steph, what are the chances of avoiding violence as Western civilization hangs on thin strands? Well, it's a challenge to talk about because some people think that description is advocacy or prescription and so on. Um, There is, well, there's no chance of avoiding violence at all. Uh, There's no chance of, uh, sadly, I mean, I wish there was. I've been, you know, working for 15 years, longer than that, really. Uh, to to try and and ensure there is no violence that we can resolve things peacefully and reasonably and so on, but there is no chance of avoiding violence, and I know that because I've been out in the world giving speeches and trying to give speeches, and it was the case that years ago I could go out and give a speech, and yeah, there'd be some crabs, there'd be some people in the audience might heckle a little or whatever, but you know you could kind of get it done in a civilized manner. But uh, it was. Um, I guess about a year and a half ago when I was in Australia and there was mass violence at the speeches that Lauren Southern and I were giving. And then we couldn't give a speech at all in uh, New Zealand because of lies and obfuscations and violence and threats. Uh, in Detroit, I was giving a speech with an ex-senator of Canada and there was uh, bomb threats and death threats and violence and uh, tried to give a speech in Vancouver last spring um, and uh, violence and so on. And, and this is just me, right? Tons of people out there just trying to go out and give speeches on a variety of civilized intellectual topics, and uh, it's bad. <laughs> I mean, the violence is already here. Avoiding violence. No, 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 the violence is already here. The violence is already here. It's running. It's running the social discourse at the moment. Unfortunately. Somebody says, honestly, if I didn't discover Steph Bot when I was 16... Now I'm 23. I really don't know where I could have ended up in my life without philosophy and reason. Words cannot express my greatest thank you. My friend, my brother, my sister, that is really wonderful to, uh, to hear. Thank you so, so much. That's, uh, that's lovely. Stefan, your audio is way out of sync. Well, not much I can do about that. Um, I will... Uh, um, well, I can upload the local recording at some point. All right, let's see here. Uh, Stefan, why not tell the truth? Trump is a gun grabber. He banned bump stocks. He has arrested record numbers of gun owners through his ATF, wanting to ban suppressors, support of red flag laws, and so on. Yeah, I, uh, you know, is is Trump perfect? Well, of course not. <laughs> of course he's not perfect. I see those of us who were not in the hurly-burly of political back and forth with a truly insane opposition that has very little interest in engaging in the realm of ideas and simply wants to uh, slander and destroy and attack and and deplatform and so on, right? You know, it's easy to be a purist. It's called being an armchair quarterback. It's easy 
to win the game if you're not in the game. You understand? It's easy to criticize from the outside if you're not in the game. And, you know, maybe Trump is a secret gun grabber. I don't think so. But he's got to work with what's going on. You, a lot of the stuff that Trump has done, you see, you won't, you won't ever see. You won't ever appreciate. You won't ever know. So what do you talk about in the State of the Union speech? 160 federal judges he's appointed along with two Supreme Court judges with more in the wings because Bader Ginsburg is like, I think, on her eighth and a half cat life or something at the moment. But yeah, Gorsuch and um, Kavanaugh. Boy, doesn't Kavanaugh still look traumatized from last year? My God, what a monstrosity they put him through. But um, a lot of the stuff you won't see, it'll be decided in little court cases and, and precedent-setting judgments and so on, and you won't see what's going on behind the scenes. Because there's a really, I mean, judges are not supposed to make laws, they're just supposed to interpret laws. The making of laws, of course, is supposed to be Congress, Congress right? And the Senate. But uh, our Congress to make Senate to ratify, is that right? It's been a while. So, so judges uh, are continually making laws. They're continually, the activist judges are going on. So the fact that he's getting more conservative judges with a respect for the law and the Constitution in the judiciary is not something that you're going to really notice or it's not it's not there's no ribbon cutting there's no fireworks right but but it's um it's uh it's something that that it's hidden it's hidden it's it's subtle and that's um something you should remember as well all right steph our son was just born last week thank you for the encouragement oh james that is wonderful here congratulations congratulations i think that's uh uh, that's wonderful. All right, so let's see here. Uh, <laughs> Space Marine, Space Force. I, you know, I mean, this Mars thing. I mean, listen, I, I, I appreciate it. I get it. I think it's cool. Uh, it would be fun to see people on Mars, but uh, I would rather have low orbit vacations for the middle class than, uh, you know, one very expensive trip for a couple of uh, government workers. All right, let's see here. Trump can, at the same time, be a horrible collectivist and 10 times better than the current alternatives. Well, 187 federal judges, somebody says. Let's see here. Hey, Stefan, could it be possible that the coronavirus was weaponized and planted in China? Well, possibility uh, versus probability are two very different things you know i mean i've i've read the conspiracies like um hey you know china had a one child policy for many decades now it's got a really demographically top heavy inverted pyramid population with very few uh, babies like japan and and lots and lots of old people and boy don't you know a virus just got out that kills a lot of old people blah 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 right so um you know it, it's interesting because i try to avoid speculation about things that we'll never know, right? So I don't believe that it was, but let's say the coronavirus was a um, was, was weaponized and it either got out intentionally or unintentionally. It was a man-made blah, 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 right? You think anybody's... I mean, nobody's going to admit that. It's China. I mean, what are they going to say? Oops, turns out we uh, communism, even when it's no longer communism per se, is still enormously dangerous. Nobody's going to... like. It's, it, you know, like I get flack still about the 9-11 stuff, right? And, 
you know, the, web, the the buildings have all been destroyed, everything's been dismantled, there's no more papers to come out, or at least they're not going to come out anytime soon, and I mean, I accept the official story, and because, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the, the American government has done so many terrible things that, anyway, so, let's see here. His first term has been triage medicine and reinforcing defenses. Well, Jim, that's right. So I think that the second term is going to be about uh, immigration, which is one of the reasons why um, the left is so hysterical at the moment. So, all right. Uh, basically, he means that we should have Hillary take everything but our pea shooters because Trump took a gun or two. That's why we are anarchists at heart, but we have to take what, what we get. Yes, that's right. Coronavirus up to 20,000 people, right? Under 20 thousand people all right worth uh let's see worth it to engage the reckless and propagandistic teaching movement in ontario or just ignore it like a screaming bratty kid in walmart hey don't blame the kid i mean it's probably the parents right so this is the other thing too of course seeing the democrats looking giving that sour botox lemon head face look at trump talking to a black woman about choice school choice for her children is an amazing thing of course as i've said a million times the 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 democrats love the teachers unions because of indoctrination and union dues and and support and all that kind of stuff so it's um uh it's very very instructive it's very very instructive to watch that right would you still consider yourself an ancap okay so for those who don't know what that means uh that is uh, anarcho-capitalist well of course I mean, logic hasn't changed. Hey, do you still believe in gravity? Do you still believe that the Earth goes around the sun? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, the the logic hasn't changed, but um, uh, well, demographics. Have, I've said this on the show before. Demographic an understanding of the demographics means that we don't have multi generations to um, to solve the problem. All right, you're great, Steph. Thanks for all your hard work and dedication. Thank you, my friend. And if you would like. To help me out, freedomain.com forward slash donate. That's freedomain.com forward slash donate. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, Stefan, I'm, st- I'm a student and I really want to ask a question. What is the meaning of life for you? I get that question every now and then. I'm going to try and answer it in a slightly different way. To crush your enemies, to drive them before you and to hear the lamentations of their women. No, that's <laughs> I can't. That's going to be memed. Anyway, um... The meaning of life for me, well, the meaning of life uh, is to strip it of meaning by being happy, right? You don't need meaning when you're happy. Think of your very best orgasm. <laughs> Mine isn't about... Anyway, think about your, your very, very best orgasm. Did you ever... Oh, what's the meaning of this? <laughs> what does it mean? Meaning is, is a wound, right? The, the search for meaning is a wound. It's a, it's a weed that grows up in the void of happiness. I mean, to hell with meaning. Don't... Don't look for meaning. That's what you. That's like a tragic substitute prize for happiness. Aim for happiness. Happiness requires risk, moral courage, dedication, loyalty, love, integrity, and uh, you got a pretty good shot at happiness if you pursue those things. Although um, it is rather an alarming uh, situation sometimes to have integrity, but 
Yeah, forget meaning of life is uh, it, it's like a will of the wisp. Like there's this old story of the will of the wisp, this sort of dancing light that, that draws you into the marsh and then you perish and then it feeds on your essence or something like that. So pursuing the meaning of life is drawing you away, further and further away from the happiness that means you don't need any stinky second class consolation prize meaning because you already have happiness. If you're happy, I mean, you ever have one of these, it's kind of rare. And I, I don't nap as much anymore, but um, have you ever had just like the perfect nap? And napping is like, it's a little bit quicksand. Like sometimes it just takes you down and robs you of energy for the rest of the day. But you ever had like a really, really great nap? Like you have a little doze, maybe some really nice music is playing. You have a little doze and you wake up and it's like, uh, you know, like that stretching cat in the sunlight thing and it's just relaxing and wonderful and you feel rested and rejuvenated and so on. So when you're waking up like that, you don't sit there and say, well, what's the meaning of all this? <laughs> you don't, right? To hell with meaning. Aim for happiness and, and meaning won't, uh, won't bother you. Catherine says, I do not want to be happy all the time. I want to be emotionally horny sometimes. I guess horniness is an emotion. Is it? Probably is, right? All right, so Jeremy says, love Steph. Just wish he would do less current events, drop the clickbait titles, and go back to plain white background. This is why my viewership has fallen off. May seem petty. Just my two cents. Hey, listen, I appreciate that. I appreciate that uh, that feedback. And um, less current events? Well, what do you guys think? I mean, I do the current events in part because they seem to do fairly well views-wise. I mean, if you just look at, uh, you know, my views are like one-tenth what they used to be before YouTube and others started steering everyone away from my content. So I just did the truth about the coronavirus and did like almost 200,000 views on YouTube. That'd be close to 2 million in the old metric, right? So that's that's current events. And um, we've got a couple of thousand people watching, is it right? What do we got here? Ah, uh, there's a little 1,200 or so watching. And... Um, I found the State of the Union interesting, and I enjoyed talking about it. Uh, I don't know what I don't know why people dislike the the background. Um, I haven't really had many comments on it. Every now and then, I'll change it for various themes and so on. But uh, we shall see. All right. Um, heroin addicts are very happy. Choose a life of meaning and trying to change the world. Heroin addicts are very happy. <laughs> I don't know what that no. Happiness is not an emotion. Happiness, okay, happiness spikes, but you want a general feeling of contentment and, and pride. All right, somebody says, I'm writing a watch script for your channel to bring it back to the old metrics. Oh, all right, that would be great. Debate lefties. Yes, I'm actually working on that. I am trying to um, get a good debate going with a communist, which I think would be very interesting and enjoyable. Uh, hey, Steph, do you have some time for a procrastination call? Thanks for everything. Yes. Uh, please, uh, please uh, give me a shout. Do the truth about truth. Oh, well, <laughs> that's interesting, actually. Do relationships and current events 50-50? Well, I do like the philosophical topics. I'm working on a presentation on Immanuel Kant, but it's a little, a little slow. A little bit slow. The truth about Israel. Well, they've already done the truth about Israel and Palestine. More interviews with guests. It's a little tricky to get guests these days. Some definitely work, uh, and some have, uh, I've been sort of unpersoned, I guess, due to um, controversy, perhaps. Bring back the call-in show. Well, for that, I would need a producer again. So I'll do the dial-in show where people can call in with the phone numbers, but and so on, right? Less events like Kobe and medical. Hmm. 
All right. I think I appreciate that feedback. Uh, Stefan, is procreation in violation of the non-aggression principle, bringing someone into this world where everyone will suffer to some extent, even the best parents will inadvertently cause suffering in various ways? But how is, I'm sorry, how is suffering a violation of the non-aggression principle? I mean, that's, you walk and you stub your toe. That's not a violation of the non-aggression principle. If you break up with a girl because you don't like her as much anymore, that's not a violation of the non-aggression principle. Uh, If a doctor tells you you're sick, that's going to make you suffer. That's not a violation of the non-aggression principle. I don't think you quite understand the non-aggression principle is about the use of violence against someone. So I don't, I would just uh, give it a, uh, (laughs) how about ancient events instead of current ones? Well, funny you should mention, I'm going to do a history of philosophy this year and um, uh, not in the studio, not in the studio. The right is lacking ideas. Can we, you and I hatch some on your show? I think this is the next great phase for you and the show, Steph. Thank you. Well, do send me um, an email. Stefan, despite Trump's awesome speech, it still was filled with pandering to minorities, women empowerment, welfare, and single motherhood in particular, don't you think? Sure. Yeah, no, I get that. That is, he has to work to counter the narrative that is being set up against him. And I'm, I think it's genuine for him, but he just focused on, on particular things. Ah, I don't know René Girard's mimetic theory, I'm afraid. I wouldn't even know enough to fake it. Uh, if you have suggestions for guests, please uh, please let me know. All right. Uh, I'm 66 and still as fast as Jesse James. I don't know how quickly he achieved orgasm, but good for you. <laughs> good for you. All right. A uh, couple more questions. A couple more questions. The philosophy guy made a video of you, of course, offered no arguments. Well, I, uh... Stefan, why don't you try to go on Joe Rogan's experience? Would probably give you a boost. Well, I was on the Joe Rogan experience <laughs> three times. Uh, three times. And uh, it was, you know, two of those were a lot of fun. So let's see here. Uh, I don't think art subjects, they haven't really said, people said, can write presentations for the show. Does that include art subjects? Um, it's pretty tough to, to sell art series, uh, art stuff uh, to, to the audience as a whole. All right. Debate Jay Dyer on empiricism would be great. Steph, I'm in the position where I can say I objectively love my dad and not my mom. What would you do in my shoes? But your dad chose your mom, right? So the values are kind of commingled, wouldn't you say? I think. Um... I would be honest and, and sit down and talk about the thing, issues that you have, the differences that you have with your mom and, and try and work it out. Uh, somebody says, stop flip-flopping. Well, all right. Uh, I have a mild form of cerebral palsy and that has made certain aspects of life challenging with me having to go against my beliefs just to survive. Can you please tell me how I can contact you? Yes, operations at freedomainradio.com and I would be happy to help. If I can. Hi, Steph. You could be the Canadian Nigel Farage. What do you think about E. Michael Jones? I don't know much about him, but uh, I think he could use a haircut. More content is good content. Keep up the good work. 
Are you still working for the CIA, Steph? No. <laughs> Not still working, never have uh, worked. All right, let's see here. Oh, the debating destiny crowd. I just don't go. Stephan, you said Trump is good because he appointed good judges. Judge Kavanaugh is the author of the Patriot Act. That act allows the government to do warrantless spying on American citizens. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Uh, not, uh, not ideal at all, but you got to pick your poison these days, and less poison is better. Uh, what's the situation with Joe Rogan? Has he invited you back on since and you don't want to go, or he hasn't tried to get you back on since the last time? Oh, God, no, no. I mean, Joe, does, he, he wouldn't want me back on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, no, Joe has not <laughs> has not invited me back on. Now, he, come on. I, I mean, the guy, um, oh, gosh, what do I say? Um, oh, what's her name from the Young Turks? Anna Kasparian. I did some shows. Um, I did a show criticizing Anna Kasparian. She bitched Joe about me, uh, as far as I understand it. Joe Rogan then prepared a whole hit piece, like he invited me on. We'd been really friendly. He's like, hey, man, anything I can do to help you out. You're a great guy. And then after Anna Kasparian uh, got on him, if I remember, it's been so long ago now. But after Anna Kasparian got on him, he prepared, he got his researchers to dig up every piece of troll garbage. And then he just had everything queued up and he invited me into the studio. You know, it seemed like, I don't know, I came down because... Again, I don't mind tough questions and so on. I kind of like to know a bit ahead of time, and I don't like it when friends, people who claim to be really friendly, turn on me because some woman is uh, crabbing at them. But, um, uh, yeah, so then he had all of this uh, this troll stuff queued up, and, and it was like, yeah, and this, and, and this, and, and uh, all that. And it's like, I don't know. It was just, I don't know, it's kind of trashy. I just think, anyway. Tony says, some of us do not have any money to give. Is there a way we can donate time and services to your cause? Well, I think that's very kind, and I appreciate that. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, like, subscribe, and share, and talk about, you know, if, if sharing me is too controversial, like, I get that. You know, people are like, oh, my God, you're sharing Wikipedia. But if it's too controversial, hey, I understand that. I mean, the truth is not a sword to be drawn at all costs, right? But just talk about the ideas. Forget about, you don't have to reference me. Just get the ideas out. That's what I want. Uh, and please try and share my Hong Kong documentary, fdrurl.com forward slash Hong Kong. Should cashless business be allowed? Well, of course. Uh, let's see here. Joe Rogan is a comedian, not a philosopher. He has to pre-write his jokes. And isn't that great with improv? Yeah, he's a good comedian, though. He's a good comedian. He's funny. All right. Uh, let's see here. I think we should probably um, – have you ever checked out Owen Benjamin? I think we've done some shows together, if I remember rightly. So uh, he's got a very chilling show, Owen Benjamin, on um, Leonardo DiCaprio's youth or uh, childhood. I watched your video on Rush Limbaugh. Saw him tonight at the State of the Union. His face is already showing the weight loss. I'm crushed. Oh. Yeah, it's tough. It's the truth about Joe Rogan. I really, really don't care. Really don't care. Stefan, would you consider having a debate with Justin Trudeau? Oh, I would do that in a heartbeat, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold my breath. All right. I'm trying to get your ideas out through writing novels. It's being well received by a small number of people. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's very kind. 
Hey, Steph, do you have any beauty tips? Yeah, get lots of sleep, exercise, drink lots of water. And you got to yeah, moisturize. You know, I, I mean, I know this sounds a little fruity, but uh, I have dry skin like you wouldn't believe. Uh, I basically end up with like this leather face Halloween mask if I don't moisturize. You got to moisturize morning and night at least. Um, and don't use soap on your face. Use cleansers. And I find actually generally a rinse on the face is the way to go. If I use any kind of soaps, I, I break out. Uh, so... Um, uh, mild cleansers for me at least whoever i mean mild cleansers and um try and stay out of the sun uh you know i have a big t- big ass tilly hat i had to get this big giant portable tent tilly hat because i have to keep uh sunlight off my um uh where they did the radiation treatment for my um uh, lymphoma cancer and so yeah try and keep, stay out of the sun sunglasses uh, keep the wrinkles from forming around your eyes and uh don't don't be afraid to laugh. If you end up with laugh lines, that's a sign of a life well lived. But yeah, moisturizer is is key. And experiment with the moisturizers as well. Lots of different kinds. You know, you can go into the stores. They have little testers and so on. You can just try different moisturizers to find the one that tries to give you as much um, lubricant to your face as, as possible. Do you think a conservative could ever become prime minister in Canada again? No. No, that's, uh, that's all done. Yeah, that's all done, I'm afraid. Uh, why do you think so many white men are cuckolds? I, I mean, I don't know if you mean cuckolds like um, the actual meaning or just this cuck, like uh, whatever, right? Um, I don't know about the white men are cuckolds thing, but, um, you know, w- whites are very much attacked by the mainstream media. And uh, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty rough. What are your three favorite classical music pieces? Hmm. I mean, I'm a bit of a pleb that way. I don't have anything particularly unusual the fourth um, song uh, or composition in mozart's requiem is gorgeous uh, least piano i find very relaxing and uh i mean i go into a semi trance hypnotic state when moonlight sonata comes on which is you know like it's like liking the song yesterday but anyway all right congrats on being a dad stefan most important thing ever thank you very much i appreciate that all right, shall we? Shall we wind it down? Shall we wind it down? Please do more audiobooks. Yeah, I would like to. Am I going to make more documentaries? Yes. Yes. Um, not true about the conservative thing in Canada. Well, we'll see. We'll see. What is your biggest regret ever? Why? I should, uh, I should have tried to settle down earlier. Um, I mean, it's funny, you know, because I love my wife so much. And I can't imagine being the father to anyone but my daughter. So in some ways, I'm very glad that I waited. The The universe, in a weird way, arranged everything so that it was perfect for me. I said, but I, I regret, uh, I regret uh, uh, breaking girls' hearts when I was younger. I, I really, that, that um, it's not something that like, I'm you know, ruminating. But um, I should have been more careful. I, I believed in the sort of radical egalitarianism when I was younger, that men and women are just like each other and so on, and you don't, have to have any different standards i don't i know that that's not true now but uh so i was kind of propagandized but uh i was a bit of a player i dated too much and uh, i um i broke some some girls hearts and uh i should not have uh done that i did the best i could with the knowledge that i had and it wasn't like there was a whole bunch of other knowledge out there that i was aware of but um uh, i think that um it did kind of work out you know if if i'd gotten married younger then i would not have yeah, it's funny. Then I would have had kids younger, and I, I wouldn't have had the, 
risk-taking capacity to end up doing this. So anyway, it's a, uh, it's tough, right? Favorite Monty Python sketch. You know, it's funny. I actually did the cheese, cheese shop sketch in, uh, in high school during one of the uh, shows. What do you think of Nietzsche? I think slave morality pretty well pegs the left. I like Nietzsche, but you know what's funny? Uh, so some years ago for the show, we did a book club and I reread The Antichrist, which had a huge impact on me when I read it in my 20s. And it was like, eh, this is kind of dull. I, uh, huh. All right. Uh, what editing program do you use? Well, uh, I was using um, uh, PowerDirector for a while, but PowerDirector doesn't work as well with multi-cores. And I picked up a rather beast of a processing machine with 32 cores, uh, 16 cores doubled. It's a Ryzen Threadripper. So now I'm starting to work with um, DaVinci Resolve. Uh, it's taking a little while to get used to it, but it's much faster in terms of video production. Could you convince your wife to let you take a second wife and have a bunch of more kids? I uh, know. And I wouldn't want to. All right. Are you still an atheist? Um, until I get uh, rational proof or empirical evidence, I must follow where the reason and evidence goes. Let's see here. AMD is making great CPUs again. Good times. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's a good, uh, good CPU. All right. Very interesting stuff. Do you have any theories as to why the left supports the mullahs in Iran? Well, I mean, because both the left and the mullahs in Iran hate Christianity. So, and universal... Um, uh, ethics and so on, right? Damn, PC spec mogged by Steph. Yeah, no, I see when, um, when uh, my producer and I parted ways, which I guess was a year and a half coming up, a year and a third ago or whatever. Um, well, I mean, having, you know, bringing all the production in-house, I just needed a beast of a machine to get things done, so... Why do you support the age of consent? Do you have a rational argument for it? Yeah, because children can't process consequences the way that adults can, and so children can't enter into contracts, uh, children can't rent cars, uh, and children certainly cannot consent to sexual activity because their brains are immature, their bodies are physically immature, of course, and they can't determine the consequences. Uh, it is wrong. Uh, uh, you know, in, in the same way that it's wrong to, to have sex with a woman who is uh, somehow disabled or, 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 you know, passed out drunk or whatever and unable to consent, uh, children cannot consent because they don't really know what they're consenting to with regards to sexual activity. And so uh, this is why, uh, I mean, along with the general moral horror of, of sexual activity with children or, and, and, or people whose brains are, are very undeveloped, um, you can't get consent out of a child for a wide variety of things of which sexual activity is one of them. Uh, free market capitalism hurting American workers with immigration, replacing American workers and suppressing wages. Comments. But immigration doesn't have anything to do with the free market at all. I mean, just because business people want it doesn't mean that it's part of the free market. Here's, here's, well, here's how you know. So 70-plus so percent of immigrants to America end up on uh, welfare. Uh, in in Sweden, only one out of 16 migrants is working in a job that isn't massively or completely subsidized by the Swedish government. Uh, in Germany, it was like, I don't know, one or two percent of, of the migrants had jobs and so on, right? So that's not part of the free market at all. 
would you donate to a charity um, 10 or 15% of your income in order to bring people over who didn't work? Well, no, of course you wouldn't, right? I mean, that would be crazy. It would not be charitable. It would not be kind. And it would not be helpful, right? And, and particularly if you brought people over from third world countries who were, you know, brilliant and talented and entrepreneurial, well, okay, um, there's an argument to be made for that in terms of economic productivity, but um, it's a way of guaranteeing that the third world countries are going to remain poor, right? I mean, it's funny how I got into arguments last year with people uh, from India uh, about this idea that it was like British colonialism, they stripped all of the resources from India, and that's why England became rich and so on, and blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, well, I don't agree with the argument at all, but um, by, by the, the West having these immigration policies and having these subsidies and chain migration and so on, which makes it much easier to come over because you bring over your home family over time. Well, that's taking the most talented people out of the third world's guaranteeing that the third world is going to remain poor. I mean, it just is the way that it is as far as that goes. So immigration has nothing to do with the free market. Immigration is a big giant government program because the costs of the immigrants are socialized. You understand, right? The costs of the immigrants are socialized. The healthcare costs, the education costs, the um, the welfare costs, the food stamp costs, it's all socialized. So private profit plus socialized costs, that's just fascism, straight up fascism. All right. Fascinating, fascinating questions. Are you employed by any of the alphabet agencies, Stefan? I'm really not. <laughs> I'm really, really not. Do you believe Jesus existed? I absolutely do believe that Jesus existed. Stefan, would you prefer your child catches the coronavirus or third-wave feminism? <laughs> oh, man, that's harsh. That's harsh. All right. Is this the end of the Democrat Party? No, until immigration is dealt with, this is what's keeping them on life support, so to speak, right? All right. I think I... Have you watched Conan the Barbarian yet? The second movie doesn't count. Uh, I love the second movie, but the first movie is very, very good. Steph, have you played any video games lately? Yes, my daughter and I are playing Rocket League. Rocket League. Um, what's my handle? StephBot1, I think it is. So, yeah, uh, it is um, Rocket League. Uh, Stefan, you seem dubious of my understanding of the NAP. My response to bring someone into this world of suffering without their consent, is that not an act of aggression? No, the creation of life is not an act of aggression. You're not initiating violence. To create life, come on, don't don't uh, don't be obtuse, right? Uh, Rocket League is fun. I haven't played anything else. I've got a, a game or two, but I just don't have any time. I just don't have any time. Stefan, my question before was about an arbitrary adult age. Why eighteen? Is there a biological distinction between seventeen and eighteen? I don't know what you're what you're talking about. You got to have an age, right? <laughs> You've got to have an age. And you, you pick an age, and then you can say, oh, but 17, like, you know, the, the, the day before somebody turns 18, it's like 11 hours and 59 minutes and 59 seconds, and suddenly everything, you've just got to have an age, man. You've got to have an age. <laughs> and, yeah, you can just say, well, five minutes before and five minutes. I get it. I get it. But come on. Don't be ridiculous, right? Sorry to be so harsh. Can you play an instrument? I did play violin for about... 10 years, but my instrument of choice is myself. Stefan, do you play on PlayStation or Xbox? I play on Xbox. Uh, I, did, I do have a PC version, but um, it's better with a controller. I know the Xbox controller can go with a PC, but I just never got around to trying it out. 
All right. What is your opinion of art? It's a uh, psychological manifestation of the deepest values of the artist in an attempt to replicate those values in others. Why no super chats? Because my YouTube channel has been demonetized, and so I can't get uh, anything, uh, any revenue through super chats. Everything is is demonetized. Hmm. All right. Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, any Kobe updates? No, I'm afraid not. So. Um, oh yeah. No, I did a really good interview lately. Uh, it's going to be a couple of days till it comes out because they want to put it on TV first. But I did do a really, really good interview with uh, uh, Joseph Cotto. And uh, so look for that. That's coming out soon. And listen, hey, man, just remember, if you uh, like I respond to messages on Subscribestar from my subscribers first. And if you want to get there's like dozens of videos out there that have never even gone out to the public. And there are videos up there shows up there that you get big advance notice of if you're on Subscribestar. So uh, please uh, go to freedomain.com forward slash donate uh, click on the subscribe star link and uh, go from there all right okay i'm going to stop although it was very enjoyable i'm sorry if we had any loss here what do we do here i I have dropped frames are zero my dropped frames are zero so um that's not uh, if there was syncing issues it doesn't have anything to do with my end because they all worked very very well Great job on the Hong Kong documentary. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. So have yourselves a wonderful evening, everyone. What time is it? Ooh, 12.30 in the morning. Mm. Yes, I am, in fact, a night owl. I hope you guys have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you. So what was YouTube's reason for demonetizing your channel? (laughs) Are you kidding? Um, Have a uh, wonderful, wonderful evening. And uh, I look forward to you guys' uh, feedback. Thank you so much for these great, great questions. And have a wonderful night. Um, also, follow me on Subscribestar as well, because you'll get a private uh, call into the uh, call-in show as well. So yeah, thanks everyone so much. Uh, love you guys uh, enormously. Thank you for the great privilege of uh, having this conversation with the world. And uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Well, thank you so much for enjoying this latest free domain show on philosophy. And I'm going to be frank and ask you for your help, your support, your encouragement, and your resources. Please like, subscribe, and share, and all of that good stuff to get philosophy out into the world. And also, equally importantly, go to freedomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show, to give me the resources that I need to bring more and better philosophy to an increasingly desperate world. So thank you so much for your support, my friends. freedomain.com forward slash donate.